Hello, I'm Rachel England and welcome to Brain Yapping, the podcast where comedian and actual qualified neuroscientist Dr. Dean Burnett gets put through his paces with brain-related questions by me, not a neuroscientist, without any advance warning or prior preparation, in a bid to demonstrate that science isn't always as slick as it seems. Hi, Dean. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Very tired. <laughs> Me too, and I don't even have a reasonable excuse. I'm sure you do. Uh, You're working like one o'clock, aren't you? It, insomnia, maybe, a well, bit. Well, that's a very good excuse. Okay, yeah, fair. That's a valid excuse. <laughs> I think, I'd say that's the best excuse for being tired. Okay, well... Not I, sleeping. I wouldn't say it's quite as good as, say, writing several books. Well, I don't write one book today. Or it's certainly a more productive <laughs> reason for being tired so, yeah. than lying in bed at night yes. going, why can't I sleep? Yeah. At the time of recording, I sent in my second book draft... No, the first full draft of my second book that I wrote in the last six months, and it's June, and I've got another one to finish for the end of the year. So it's been frantic. It's been full on. Apparently, this is not normal. I'm told. I think it's a bad sign when your agent emails at the blue just to check if you're all right. I'm <laughs> just checking in, Dean. How's it going? Yeah, you managing? You holding up? Well, yeah, fine. I'm just worried about you. So thank you, but also. Creepy? <laughs> well, I don't know. Disconcerting. See, that, that sort of cool, calm, aloof attitude of yours might actually be a warning sign. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. And, and, and when we start yeah. seeing on the news, people are like, well, was he under any stress? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, funny you should say that, actually. I'm driving through St. Melons wearing someone's head as a hat. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much spot on for what he was up to. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he just had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Okay, so it's been a little while since we've recorded yeah, one of these. you went to Italy uh, in the interim. Um, I have been, yes, yeah. Yes, because every time we, we have a gap, you go to a different country. Yeah, which makes, me sound, like... <laughs> makes it sound really like I've got quite a jet-set life, but yeah. maybe just says something more about the erratic recording schedule that we have. Possibly. I thought it says more about the trauma of having to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I really must put some distance between me and that guy for, <laughs> for, God, for a few days. I just, I just need to go to another country for a while. Like That is how much yeah. it's taken its toll. He's, he's got a blast radius for that. <laughs> I really need to get out of ground zero for, for a while. And yeah. I know, again, I can't, uh, I can't argue that. To be fair, I mean, there are worse places to do that than Lake Garda. So. No, look, I saw your photos. It looked delightful. It was, it was lovely. Yes. Whenever you're in that kind of environment as well, it's hard to believe that people actually live there. That's yeah. people's lives. Yeah, that's what That yeah, view I and that weather that, yeah. and that food. Yeah, I found that when I first went to Mexico with um, with my my wife, and like I'd never been to a place like that. Which is so, I mean, I've been on holiday before, but in package resorts, you know, like the, yeah. the Yibena dorms, Brits you know. abroad, yeah, yeah, yeah Florida's. Yeah, nowhere they didn't serve chips. Yeah, you know, carling. HP sauce or the breakfast buffet, that sort of thing. Yeah. And they went to Mexico and they went to Tulum. Like it was it's more built up now. We've been back since once, but it was a very small little town. Like probably you, know, you can walk across it in five minutes when those little you know, along the big roads. Mm. Went to the beach and I just walked up and I thought, oh, these these places are real. There's like the little bright blue sea and the blazing sky and palm trees and golden sands. So this is a these are real places. I always assumed they were. Like touched up Photoshop things for for postcards, and no, they exist. I was standing by the toilet, so that wasn't like not that wasn't like the premium view. This is just basic. I thought, wow, this is this is disconcerting. I actually got angry. I didn't know. I wasn't. I was not led to believe that this is a real place. I was really furious about the whole thing. Well, that actually leads me very neatly into hmm. today's topic. Can I ask you to pause there for a second because I want to flag up that since the last episode, I have had it pointed out that I did do a bit of a cock up. Uh, something I'm actually I'm glad because I've been looking for this happen for quite a while. I was not the point of me doing this. Now, we talked about being hangry, why 
eating things or not eating things affects your mood. Mm. And I went on that big rant about, well, the brain only uses glucose, so you drop that. That isn't true. That is incorrect. <gasps> and, is that fake news? Um, yes, but not no, not with any sort of agenda. It's just basic incompetence on my part. <laughs> I think the origin of the, my belief in that, I think, comes from early days neuroscience study. I think someone said that in one of the lectures. But right. Not, Either I got the wrong end of the stick or they just oversimplified it for the, the the new fresh kids who don't know anything. The brain does run on fats and other things. It just it's the last organ to do so. So when you, you know when you run out of reserves, glucose reserves, the brain will switch over to, you know, like a hybrid engine goes from jet fuel to coal or whatever. Well, <laughs> that's, that's a bad no. comparison. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there's no machine which from does electricity that. Electricity to uh, <laughs> yeah. to petrol. To hydro, maybe. To, yeah, what whatever, yeah. yeah. But um so, yeah, the brain does do that. Uh, it's just it's the last one to do so, and it prefers, prefers, quote-unquote, you know, not to. And mm. uh, when I saw the thing about it, I thought, of, of course, that is, you're an idiot, because the body has enough glucose reserves for maybe a couple of hours. So that would suggest that as soon as those went out, you just drop dead. So <laughs> anyone who fasts, couldn't fast more than an hour, they'd just die instantly. <laughs> and that doesn't happen, does it? No, no. Yeah. It's more to do with, apparently, insulin sensitivity. Our modern, very varied, wild diets cause uh, insulin reactions to be more chaotic and like we get hit with a lot more insulin because we eat so much more sugar and um as a result we uh our moods become more erratic as a result so and there's all stuff as a habit is true as well but uh but yeah so that's that's a, a correction for eagle-eared listeners who uh, want to get in touch and call me all manner of names <laughs> for getting basic neuroscience wrong well i mean that is like the whole reason you're here well yeah that's what i wanted to do, to do with basic this. neuroscience yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay well, that that's great. Thanks for um, clarifying yeah. that. I am annoyed though because you absolutely trashed my really neat segue then, oh, which sorry. is talking about Mexico. Okay. From which I was going to lead into. Funny you should say that, Dean, because today's topic is culture shock. <laughs> okay, nice. Ta-da! That works. Yeah. So, like I said just then mm. about Italy and how amazing it was for me to be there and be like, gosh, look, you know, people actually live here. This is people's whole lives. Wowzers. Um, I didn't really feel like I was culture shocked as mm. such. It was like just life, but like better. Okay. <laughs> but then you hear stories and I have certainly experienced culture shock in some countries I've been to. Um, India, for example, mm. you step out of the airport in India and it's overwhelming to like beyond comprehension. And just little things that once seemed sort of normally like very normal and familiar suddenly everything's weird and different and it's kind of like being in a bit of a a dream almost Mm. not everything's reality but not quite um so i wanted to talk about what's happening in your brain Mm. when you are in that kind of situation Mm. the most famous example of this the actually it's got a it's a disorder they call Paris syndrome. Yes, yes. and is it really people from Japan are Japan, particularly susceptible to it? Yes. Yeah. Well, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, Japanese tourists go to visit Paris and become psychologically disturbed to the point of being genuinely mentally unwell uh, because the theory is they have been uh, fed a diet of media Paris, you know, from Hollywood films and... Accordions. You know, the accordions, the, the Ratatouille soundtrack. And bagels glorious and lights croissants and, and, and everyone's... Strings of garlic, yeah. yeah. Everyone's wearing berries and, uh, and it's all romantic and wonderful sure. and the hazy colours and pastel old stuff. And I've been to Paris, not yeah. like that. No, and, um, no. and my 
I have many French friends, and they all tell you Parisians not not the best. Well, they, they certainly <laughs> yeah. don't like the Brits, do they? No, well, that's fair. No one to does say. right now, but <laughs> well, that's, that, that's yeah. more of a long running thing. But yes, they are. Um, you know, a lot of people in France don't like Parisians because of their aloof, sort of not particularly friendly attitude. Sure. This is just what for some French people have told me. I don't mind, I didn't find that when I went there. But it, uh, you know, so Japanese tourists go and expect the the the, the, the movie treatment mm. and get reality, which hits them so hard. It genuinely unsettles them. I think there may be a, a, a particularly uh, for them because it actually comes back into the, the initial problem. Japanese culture is so different anyway, but mm. they're also they're quite sort of you know they're very uh, you know it's all honourable culture thing. They're very sort of they're very mannered, very courteous. <coughs> courteous, thank you. That's the word. Yeah, which um, is kind of the opposite mm. of yes, Parisian. It, it sort of pushes them further than it pushes most, and then they have this meltdown <laughs> so they just can't handle it and that's uh, fair enough but I think a lot of it comes down to having your assumptions your preconceptions your norms completely ripped away and uh, like the, the India thing's the same like my wife's Indian my mother-in-law's father-in-law Indian they've not taken me to India people are surprised at that Mm. And they, but they say no for, for your own good. Because, I'm not surprised at that, but also knowing you, yeah, and having been to India, albeit briefly and a, a long time ago, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, maybe you're not like the greatest <laughs> contender for fitting in. Well, that's that, I, I have no issues with this. I haven't asked to go. I think it, you know you you probably called that right to be honest because I am not a well-travelled person. My wife has taken me to some kind of Malaysia and stuff, but not um, and Mexico. Yeah, twice. Uh, but I wouldn't sort of call myself a travel bug. I, uh, if you organise it, I'll go. But I'm not going to go and... I've never backpacked anywhere because I, I, mean, I can do that here. I just wander around the house with a backpack <laughs> on if I want. Just stay, not bathe for a sleep week. Sleep on the floor. Yeah, okay. I can do that. Save a lot of money and air miles. So it, but it, um, I think a lot of it comes down to a similar thing as... Well, like homesickness is a part of it too because similarly, when you're in you know, culture shock, you're in a different place. And there's some theory that homesickness is actually an evolved mechanism to discourage you or to... Stop you from wandering too far from the tribe, as it were, the safety of your oh, community. For survival. Yeah, essentially. Back when we lived in the wild and the human tribe was our safety net, literally life or death way. So you wander too far and you can't get back. That goes like, oh God, I, I hate this, I can't handle it. Sure. So you run home. And like the people who did that were more likely to survive rather than those who just wandered for hours on end and got eaten by tigers. You know, not the most productive survival tactic. So there's a theory that homesickness is. Because of that, it's like an underlying instinct that I am away from my home and I cannot get back to it. Mm. This is bad. This is wrong. So you've already got that going on. But I think I've spoken about it quite a few times now, your mental model of how the world works. Mm. You have, over your lifetime, learned how, learned how certain things work, how this happens, how that happens. You have expectations. You have parameters. You have schemas for what goes away and what happens when this certain thing occurs. And... But all of those come from the culture you grew up in. So if you go to some place which is kind of similar to yours, so imagine if you went from Spain to Portugal, it wouldn't be too much culture shock because they're neighbours. Like you go from Wales to England, there's not actually any culture shock. It's just right. sort of tribalism, essentially. Sure, sure some <laughs> yeah. of our Welsh listeners would disagree with <laughs> well, that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone just crosses the bridge and goes, ah, oh, monolingual signs, I can't handle this. And just, <laughs> Freaking out. <laughs> just drive into a ditch. That, that would be odd. <laughs> and I think if that happens, it's not... That's not culture shock. That's some, some, there's some other deeper problem going on there. Well, you say that, but when I first met my boyfriend, we um, he, who is like super Welsh, yeah. um, 
we drove down to London for a friend's party, and uh, he'd not dri- he'd not been to London on like by a car before, so he'd not seen any road signs. And he was having a whale of a time pointing out oh, Twickenham. Ooh, doesn't that sound English? Mm, Buckinghamshire. Ooh, doesn't that sound English? That does, though. I mean. But that was he was absolutely like out of his in his element mm. over it because that just seemed so. All of those names just seemed so odd and twee yeah i guess in the same way that when you have like hardcore english folk coming over to wales and they're seeing all the multilingual signs and the absolute mm. lack of vowels it's the <laughs> same kind of ooh. yeah i had when, when i started doing comedy there's so many jokes from visiting comedians to wales they always start off with uh, the bridge that's expensive isn't it because we wouldn't know we, we've never experienced this bridge <laughs> like yes we know it's expensive everyone else points that out too of course, it does not. It's free now, so that that joke's ruined. <laughs> um, not that it was ever good, but I'm not sure. Thanks the government. <laughs> <laughs> no, no great loss there. And they say, "Oh, you guys, you you, you love your L's, don't you?" Yes, we have a lot of L's in the Welsh names. That's. I mean, we know this. <laughs> you're 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 a visitor. We, we're aware of this. Yeah, we're it's, here it's, all the time. It's not new to us, guys. <laughs> but oh, that's just a minor thing. But I was I I think the closest I had to culture shock. Again, when we went to Mexico, my wife was still in backpacking mode, so we didn't have like the airport transfers and stuff. She just got us on the traditional, the standard Mexico bus, like two of those connected to our hotel, like two hours from Cancun. And I was like sat on this Mexican bus, which was just like out of a film. I thought, again, I thought, I didn't think these were real. I thought that was just some sort of film stereotype. But then someone got on the bus with a chicken in a box. So that, Amazing. Okay, that, that, I got a little bit, and I was jet lagged anyway, so it wasn't exactly, you know, thinking completely straight, but that was a bit. I, I don't know what this is. I'm, I'm I'm baffled by this. But I think the worst one I had is when I went to Cambridge for my, oh my interview. Okay, I went, yeah, I went straight from a Welshman in England. Well, the Garo yeah. Valley, which I never really left for more than a day, apart from like holiday resorts, which is safe. Yeah, and brief visits to Cardiff. Maybe went went to school to London once. So I went from the Garo Valley Community One Thousand, and then go to Cambridge University, King's College, the oldest one of the older ones. Genuinely thrown like everything was really small like all the buildings they're so old they actually were built when people didn't grow so big because of poor nutrition so mm. i was hitting my head on a lot of things i'm not a tall guy and i sat in the waiting room with like all the other students waiting to go in and they were discussing their latest debate club uh, subject i went no like you know, the ethics or, or should shakespeare be taught in schools because it's but also classical and proper i mean stereotypical doesn't mean come close and then they turned to me, so what, so you, what was your school's latest recent debate? <laughs> I was thinking, well, Michael said Darren Fing and his girlfriend, but he didn't, and they had a fight behind <laughs> the shit. That's all I, I didn't say, but that's all I could think of. I think that's the closest we got. So, um, yes, yeah, so I, I felt really, I, I didn't do well in interviews, because I was like, I don't know what I would do here. This place is freaking me out, something chronic. So, sure. so yeah, that's the sort of thing with, I, mean, I wasn't there for a few hours, but imagine being sort of stuck there. Imagine being... In Cambridge, it's well, like hell, yeah. Well, yeah, but imagine if I'd gone there and like, you've got to stay here for a week. For, you know, because that can happen, you know, if you're one of those boarding schools, you've got to do the week lesson thing. And I think that's why you, you get refugees have like the most pronounced culture shock to the point of genuine mental health problems, almost PTSD level problems, because not only have they been completely ripped from their home communities, their home culture, and play something completely different, mm. They've done so under very traumatic circumstances, you know, all running of their lives, and with no preparation. Like, they don't have any of their possessions. They don't have any familiar landmarks, and they're often just put in these places. I mean, people who are willing to put them up, great, but then they're not the same people. They are 
like 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 in war times, the Italian communities come to Wales because mm. like I heard the theory they're saying they went to settle in the Welsh mountains because they're from the mountainous regions of Italy, and that's the most familiar place in Britain for for them. Right, and that's why they're still there now. Essentially, we've got the you know, Catherine Joneses are from that background and stuff, and Joe Calzaghi and things like that. So, yeah, so it it, it seems to be when you experience a massive shift in how the world works around you, mm. and that can be genuinely disturbing because it kicks away all your certainties and those that causes tremendous stress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, in India, for example, which is ev- everything is different. Mm. Everything is different. Um, but then you mentioned about the sort of uh, evolutionary aspect and sort of the mm. innate staying close to home feeling. Um, I always remember going to Portugal um, when I was in my teens, maybe. And Portugal is a, a Western country. Mm. Uh, everything's largely the same as it is in the UK in terms of like infrastructure or whatever. Uh, obviously, it's warmer and sunnier, and the food's different or whatever. Hmm. Um, but the the one thing that I found really jarring and made me feel uneasy was the landscape. All right. Where we were staying, we were in this little sort of hotel chateau up in the hills, and we were surrounded by hills all the way around us. And it was quite dry, sort of barren, arid mm. land. And that was the thing that made me feel, uh, I don't feel right. Mm. I can, was, where are you from originally? Is in what, what region? Well, I mean, at the time I was living in Herefordshire, which is mm. very leafy and green. Yes, that's and, that's, that's, that's so that. again, yeah. it's, it's, I suppose it was the yeah. mechanism saying you are far from home yeah. here. I think it was something as fundamental as the land is wrong. I mean, yeah. That's going to be really quite unsettling, isn't it? And it's like the air smells weird or the sky is purple. That that would be, that's really jarring. I mean, that doesn't happen much, much, <laughs> hopefully never, but you know, in certain sunsets you can have a bit of a tint to it. But it's like, I think if you've not experienced a completely different climate, completely different geography, mm. just being lumped in the middle of it. And obviously, like I say, if you were to visit that sort of and I were in the car. I go, it's weird, isn't it? But I've got to stay here now. I've got to stay here for, yes, that's it. it's for the, the foreseeable. The feeling, I suppose, of being adrift. Mm, yeah. If if I was there and I went, okay, oh, right, interesting landscape, now I'm going home, mm. wouldn't have that same attitude towards it as, okay, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here or trapped mm. here. Yeah, I don't know to do with this. Like, I think there's a thing of, um, even the most baseline level, there's like the first night effect. I've talked about it before, but when you stay in, it could be like a five-star hotel, it could be like a, um, uh, hostel or some sort, depending on where it is. Oh, yeah, even like a friend's house. Yeah, friend's house, or even like your new house, your move house. You never sleep particularly well the first night no. because your subconscious, those parts of your brain which are always ticking over, are aware that this isn't my normal sleeping environment. Mm. And that's particularly important because I'm asleep now. I'm incredibly vulnerable, so I can't afford to let my guard down. Sure. So I don't know, there could be a bear in the cupboard or something. Oh, those rare Mexican cupboard bears, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hot and cold running air signs. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but so you you have these awarenesses at the most fundamental levels that, you, that you're not you're not aware of consciously, but your brain is always like, keeping an eye on stuff like that. Mm. So even if it's just like something, you know, slightly different environment when you're asleep, it sets it off. So when you're in a completely different landscape, like the buildings look different, people sound different, people look different, people are not behaving in certain different in particular ways and that becomes a thing as well I mean, but there are sort of it can be more subtle ones too which i've always been i've quite like noticing these and 
like you see it happened on Twitter a lot like or, or online when people say you guys are like I think Britain freaked out when it said Americans don't have kettles yes and I was like what, how can you even function like that yeah exactly <laughs> how, how does anything happen <laughs> yeah how can you get through the day without a kettle if that doesn't we use ours at least 17 times a day. And, uh, and they heat their water up in a microwave or a saucepan. Yeah, which uh-huh. genuinely makes it... Uh, <laughs> just like That's not right, is it? But then we had the same thing recently. Like, when the rounds of other countries didn't realise we kept our washing machines in our kitchen. Oh, that was the big news lately, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, so and Germany keeps theirs in the bathroom. Yeah. Which actually... Sort of makes sense, I guess. I mean, not to be concept, but that sounds very efficient. Well, yeah, <laughs> That's where exactly. all the other washing takes place. Why not these? Well, actually, yeah, when you say it like that, that actually does make perfect sense. But, yeah. But it's like, it's, I think it, it's like one of those things where it's, everything else is so similar. So those, those differences are suddenly far more jarring as a result of it. Mm. If it's like, you know, if it said people in Sarajevo kept your kettles in the, kid, in the kitchen or, you know, if you're... People in Belarus said, oh, we keep our washing machine under the stairs. Like That's like, all right, I don't know anything about Belarus. That doesn't sound particularly controversial. Mm. But if it sounds like your neighbour said, oh, no, I keep my eggs in, in the attic. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, that's yeah. it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. keeping keeping a washing machine in a different room of the house is, yeah, potentially controversial. But at the end of the day, it's a washing machine, which we mm. all have, in a house, which we all have. Mm. It's a quirk. I suppose it's not like saying, oh, yeah, we keep our washing machine at the end of the garden, <laughs> yeah. which would be unusual. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, for us specifically, yeah. for our culture, we don't have a washing machine. We wash all of our clothes in the mm. stream. You know, that would be mm. even more jarring. But I guess that's what I'm talking about. The whole, it's kind of there. It's kind of the same, but just a little bit different. Mm. So everything's just kind of skewed a little yeah. bit in your mind. It's almost like cultural uncanny valley. So it's just yeah. close, but not close enough. Sure. And also, the cultural differences can be quite you know, alarming because I wrote about this the book thing and that like, like alcohol consumption someone points out like what Americans would consider problematic worthy of intervention a British person thinks Thursday yeah you know, that's like, yes. well, yeah of course yeah that's, that's fine yeah <laughs> like I'm watching used to watch the Cougar Town Connie Cox's sitcom and they're all drinking wine and that to keep mentioning no oh, you're so alcoholic as Maybe two bottles they've got through there. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. I mean, that's just yeah. five of them. That's, that's fine. Just, that's that's just a Tuesday lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but they, they think we have a, pro- a problem and quite possibly correct. But but it's, uh, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's like, Different cultural attitude. Yeah, I think Dara Breen pointed out that uh, in the higher latitudes, like so much, so many in Britain try to get the whole Parisian wine and street cafe drinking culture going. It's far more refined, far more self-controlled you know, and calm. But we're not from that sort of climate, like you said. Like we 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 don't, as Darwin put it, I think something like, we drink from the grain, not from the vine, and that's a whole mm. different thing. There's like long nights, dark, depressing times. Yeah, to, hold up indoors. Yeah, 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 heavy ales and stuff. That's that's what we do, or, or ciders if you're from that part of the country. But that might explain why, come the summer, people go absolutely wild <laughs> yeah. for a Good beer point. garden. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The sun's out. Wow, we can actually sit yeah, outside quite comfortably. Let's just get absolutely uh, smashed. Vitamin D and alcohol, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it doesn't make sense. Isn't that all what Brits all want? Essentially, yeah, that's why we, we go absolutely nuts on holiday, don't we? So. Vitamin D and alcohol, yeah. <laughs> okay. There's an album there, I'm sure. So we've looked at travel and being in other countries um, We've looked at culture, shock and homesickness. Hmm. But you made a very good point there when you said you uh, got on the bus at the airport in Mexico and a guy got on with a chicken in a box. Hmm. And you were like, oh, my God, does this actually happen? Is this real life? <laughs> yeah. So 
Never know when they were going with that chicken. <laughs> Why does a chicken have to go with him? Yeah, yeah, you know? Could, could have been his... I mean, these days, probably his emotional support chicken. I don't know, but it's entirely possible. Um, so, obviously, that's something that sort of stuck with you because you'd mm. seen it in movies or in stereotypical mm. uh, renditions of Mexican culture. You're like, oh, my God, yeah, this does happen. It stuck with you. And you're slightly more worldly as a result of it. So what benefits are there for you, the brain, your psyche, your mm. mental well-being, to travelling and expanding your understanding of the world a little bit? Well, general baseline, like you learn things. That's always really good anyway. And just to have an idea that how other people live, how they function, which isn't like how you live, that does tend to be, you know, it makes you more empathetic. It makes you more... I say worldly wise, it gives you better understanding. Mm. And it's like you know, classic thing the whole Brexit debate that those who live among immigrants and interact with them have no problem with them. It's the ones who never see them. Absolutely. Which are the most anti immigration. And for some reason they get priority when it comes to views. Because to me it's like saying, well, you're a heart surgeon and I watched Holby City, so I should be in charge of this operation. And well, I'm not entirely sure that works, stacks up. But I a personal take on that one. But, um, but yeah, so like it does actually do that. You, know, you actually become the more those things become integrated into your mental model of the world. Then I say, okay, so this is this is a thing that happens. I will now remember that, and so oh, you can do it this way. Like like cooking is a good example. Fusion cuisine is like everywhere now. The idea of when I was growing up, the idea of eating sushi was like, oh my god, can you imagine that eating fish without even being cooked? Yeah, and raw that, fish, gross. Yeah, but now it's in every Tesco's, which is not something I ever thought would ever be a thing. Sure. It's not great sushi, but it's definitely there. You know, it's, 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 it's definitely sushi. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing, which is just like, oh, yeah, sushi, of course. You know, don't bat an eyelid now. And um, so that's, you know, these things become, they sort of filter through and you become just more understanding of how things work. And you can have the opposite of culture shock, which is, I think they call it place identity or like you, you go to a place and it's totally different to what you're used to. But you suddenly go, right, this is where I belong. Mm. It's just like, it probably applies to more people who never felt quite in sync with their own community or culture. Because you always get, you know, you misfits, you have people who just don't feel like they belong or outsiders, as it were. And my friend Chris, I think I mentioned, he went to travel the world, um, then started in Japan and hasn't left in 15 years. Sure. He's got there and goes, all right, well, I'm staying here then because yeah. this is just exactly what I want from life. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you can have that. It's in. I think it's just a sort of just a coincidental. This on my brain is wired. Sure. This place is like this. They sort of click together, and then okay, great. This is this is perfect. I want to stay like this. And you know, people do that. They they go overseas and they just don't come back because they don't want to. They <laughs> see no reason to. Well, I mean, I guess I suppose as well if you're you're faced with the choice of, I don't know, going somewhere like Thailand, which is beautiful and like a paradise and warm and sunny, and the beaches and cost of living is mm. cheap. Where the hell would you want to come back? Well, yeah, precisely. I think, but yeah, I do see yeah. what you mean about how you feel like you have like a uh, an affinity an affinity with the place. Mm. Um, like I've done a fair bit of travelling in my time, and there are a lot of places I've gone to, and I've thought, oh god, yeah, you know what, this is this is nice. I like this. This is pleasant. Um, but then there have been other places that I've gone to, and I've just thought, God, I, you know, I, I feel like I fit here, mm. like I belong here. Um, everything just feels easy and comfortable, even though it's different to what I'm used to. Mm. Yeah, it's like those different approaches or different perspectives. Because let's say if you were someone who just didn't like drinking and thought the alcohol, like being around drunks, made you deeply uncomfortable, 
you go to somewhere like you know the more dry states in America, you know, oh, this is you know, I haven't got to worry anymore. I can mm-hmm. go outside and not feel, you know, threatened by the leery drunks wandering the streets and stuff. And that would sort of you know the the, the neuroses, the the negatives that you get when you in your daily life are not there anymore, and therefore you've experienced less stress. Your brain is going okay. Well, this is good because I, I don't have that panic going on here, that, that low level anxiety. Switch that off. Well, this is nice, and I like this. I'm comfortable here, and you end up becoming quite, um, you know, quite a quite fond of it. And then, if you can stay, you do, I suppose. Mm. And so, yeah, you get the. It, it, I think it can take a while to sink in as well, because um, I think in my second book I spoke to Kevin Green, the entrepreneur, uh, when he made his millions in his mid thirties, like fifteen twenty years ago. Um, but he's still working. And I asked him. My question was, why? You know, it's clearly not the money that motivates you because you don't need it. You know, you've got loads. I mean, I guess it could be. I just want more money because some people are like that. But he didn't seem. That, well, no, because he was on Secret Millionaire, so he was clearly happy to give it away. Mm. He just doesn't. Um, you know, he's still working. So he's not motivated to. No, not to purely do that. by money. It's, um, so I was asking, what what is your motivation for working still? That you've got the more money you can ever spend. And he said he did actually do the classic thing of. Um, you know, collected all his money, sold his companies, put it all in the bank, and went to live in Barbados because you know, that's that's a classic eighties sitcom. You know, I'm going to sell yeah. it all and go live on go live in the Bahamas. And, yeah, exactly. And he's 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 there for two weeks and just got absolutely bored, senseless because he wasn't doing anything. He just sitting on the beach, like which sounds nice for like, for a holiday. But you can't live if you're not used to that. That's not your life, is it? Yeah. You don't if that's not who you are, and yeah. obviously the the reason he made his millions as he did is because of who he is and yeah. the, the kind of ca- character traits he has, mm. drive and motivation and proactivity. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's yeah. not that's not going to align well with just sitting on a beach for exactly. the rest of your some life. Some people just don't idle well, and you know, some cultures will reward that. Some will discourage that, and you'll feel more at home in one than not the other. And, it just makes sense, I guess. It's it's it obviously comes from development, but you develop in your own culture. So when you these are the rules, you know, like I know how this works. This is how much you're meant to drink. This is what language you speak. This mm. is this is how many languages are on the signs on the road. Uh, this this is this is the sport we play. And right, so that, that's how the world works. I understand now. And mm. Then you go to the other side of the world. You go, none of that applies here, and therefore it's distressing as well because obviously you think. I'm. I know how the world works. I know how to get around, and then suddenly you don't because like, oh, none, none of my rules. Even like the whole driving the wrong side of the road thing that unsettles a lot of people because it's such an ingrained thing. I think people do adapt it quite quickly because it's not like a huge shift, but it's such a reflex. Is again, you no. Know, if I get on the road now, I'll drive on the left because that's just what we do. But if you told me I had to stop doing that, I would like. Okay, I'm going to be worried because I'm driving a car while this is going on. It's is wild. Yeah. Um, when yeah, when I was in New Zealand, they drive um, on. Sorry, no. When I was in um, Canada, they obviously drive on the other side of the road, and so obviously the the car, the steering wheel, everything's on on the other side. <laughs> and um, the number of times I would like smack my right, my left hand into the door mm. reaching for a gear stick that wasn't there it's like muscle memory <laughs> and then when that happened i'd be like i'd have these moments in my head where i was like am i what side of the road am i supposed to be on <laughs> yeah. oh god everything is normal but it feels kind of yeah. weird you know like yeah. when you're in those kind of when you have those odd dreams where like everything's normal but the sky is red mm. and in your dream you're like um is this right yeah. i don't know it's one little thing like set you off as well if that's wrong then what else is wrong? Yeah. Right? And it really, it can be subtle little things like that, like seeing the wrong logo on a 
a shop or seeing like an alternative to McDonald's. You know, that's not McDonald's. It's freaking me out. Yeah. It's, it's like McDowell's from like the, <laughs> coming to America <laughs> or something. But yeah, so yeah, it, it's because we have these deeply ingrained understandings of how the world works and how, or how it should work based on our development upbringing, which is all limited usually to one culture and go to another culture that that removes all our certainties and that really throws you off. Like if something's close enough, it can be fine. But then of course, there are all the subtle differences. Of course, a lot of them you brace for them. As in, you know, if I went to Spain tomorrow, I said, well, they don't speak um, English by default. I mean, the tourist places do, but it's not, it's not the, main, the first language. Mm. Like I went to Bologna a few years ago to do a talk and I knew like I knew like I was going to be picked up and looked after. I didn't have any particular reservations there, you know, about the problems. But then I was picked up by a guy who didn't speak much English, and he just picked up again and signed my name on it. I was, Ooh, that's my name on an airport thing. Fancy. I know it was the airport. They were selling Lamborghinis in the arrival hall. That seemed a bit oh, ostentatious. That, yeah, yeah, that's wild. You get a lot of that in Cardiff Airport, to be honest. Who, who flies into an airport? Oh, do you know what? I'm yeah. just going to, darling, you just wait a second. I'm just going to yeah. go and pick up a Lambo. Shall I get a taxi or shall I buy? Shall yeah. I just buy a half, whole sports half car? Half a million pound luxury sports car. Well, if you're that rich, I suppose you can do that. But but the, um, yeah, I, I was familiar with it from previous trips to Italy, but I've forgotten about it. The whole uh, Italians have a different approach to driving than we do. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I was. I've, Genuinely thought I was going to die several times. It's, oh, yeah, I forgot you do this. Help. <laughs> like, just, ah. So that's what rules the road is. Hopeful hints of the road. That's the best they seem to do. When uh, when I was recently in Italy with um, our friend Lowry, we got a hire car from the airport to where we were staying. Whew, yeah. That was that was <laughs> yeah. certainly an experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, Indicators, yeah. what are those? <laughs> oh, that's not clicking noises. Yeah. All these years I've been wondering. <laughs> Yeah, so that's basically my understanding of how culture shock works. Uh, can be bad, can be good, can be you know extensive, can be fleeting. But it's just about your certainties as to how the world works have been altered or like they're, they're missing, mm. and that sends you into a little bit of a panic or a bit of a spiral. And like I don't know how, because most of your understanding and behaviour is based on these things. So when they're gone, like oh right, that now I don't know how anything works, and that that can be quite unsettling. Okay. Are you uh, going on holiday anywhere this year? Yes. Uh, going uh, a week and a bit. I guess we're going to review the kids. You know, okay. The resort and stuff. I mean, I'm not going to anywhere luxurious. So there'll be chips? I'm assuming so. I mean, they, my kids don't care. As long as there's fruit, they'll be happy. Oh, God. What great kids you have. <laughs> I know. They throw a lot of fruit. Chips? Nah. Fruit for Turned our family. pizza the other day. Like, they hammered the salad bar. Like, good. <laughs> Wow, that's wild, really. No pizza, thanks, Daddy. I want some celery. My my daughter loves olives, really. Three-year-old. Oh, that's great. Maybe she will. um, Maybe she'll outdo you in the terms of travelling. Then, when she's older, no package resorts for her. (laughs) Daddy, I'm going on the olive trail. (laughs) Straight to Greece. Great. Okay. Thank you very much for uh, for explaining that, Dean. No problem, Um, Rachel. Thank you for coming. I, well, I'm assuming anything I've said is correct, of course. Cause well, I don't know. I mean, we'll, all be absolute bollocks. We'll we'll find <laughs> out. I mean, do write in if you if you yeah. vehemently disagree with anything that we've spoken about. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. See you next time. Bye. If you'd like to read the Brainy Up in blogs, go to cosmicshambles.com forward slash blogs, where you'll find Brainy Up in plus lots of other exclusive science blogs from the likes of Helen Chesky, John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Ginny Smith, and others. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media. Give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as that does really help us out. 
If you'd like to support the show and everything we make at Cosmic Shambles, you can pledge via Patreon for as little as $1 a month. There's lots of great reward tiers available too. Go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles or follow the links from cosmicshambles.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.